Good morning, everybody. I would like to welcome you this morning to just stand with us. Let's just worship our God. Sing with me. He's coming on the clouds. He's coming on the clouds. King of kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break. His broken hearts declare his praise. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. 
Grand Bible Chapel. Hey, my name is Jason. I'm on the pastoral staff here. Just wanted to welcome you to church this morning. So thankful that you came out. I have a few announcements this morning. Number one, uh, in the back is our clothing corral. We're still collecting clothes for Haiti and for the Navajo Nation in Arizona. So if you want to get rid of some clothes that you have that are extra, feel free to bring those in. Also, this week is the last week for nominations for Thanksgiving baskets. So if you want to nominate yourself or nominate a family that is in need, feel free to do that. And lastly, today is Communion Sunday. Amen. Amen. So if you are home, uh, please uh, get your, your communion uh, wafer or whatever you're going to use ready, your juice, and be ready to celebrate communion together as a family. Thank you. And with that, let's continue worshiping. spoke a word you were singing over me you have been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me you have been so so
coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me That's it, sing it out There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me God's kingdom There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Come on now. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. So, so 
some of this from other pastors and some of it is my own words but Lord we feel the heaviness of the coming days and the aftermath of what the people of our country choose come Tuesday today we pray Lord for those leaders God I pray for both that both of our presidential candidates Lord would humbly know the weight of their brokenness that, Lord, the cross of Christ will not be reduced to a political maneuver, but would truly bring them both to their knees. That your word, Lord, would not be used for affirmation merely, but sought out by both in order to bring heart transformation. Lord, we pray that the heart of our political leaders would know and seek prayerful confession and repentance as they lead. God, I pray that your people would seek love and justice and far-seeing wisdom. Lord, in regard to the issues of our time, that your people would seek love and justice and far-seeing wisdom in the areas of education and business and industry. Love and justice and far-seeing wisdom with respect to health care, marriage and family, abortion, welfare, energy. Love and justice and far-seeing wisdom with respect to government and taxes, military, 
terrorism and international relations and every challenge that we face in the years to come. And more than all else, God, I pray that in these days and the days to come that we, your people, would truly treasure you above all else, that our response to November 3rd would magnify your glory and sovereignty, that the way we live and speak would show the world that you are by far the most precious thing in our lives. I pray that as a people set apart by you, that our conduct in the coming weeks would set us apart as a people whose eyes are fixed on eternity. And so, Lord, in closing, please confront us in our selfishness, expose our pride and arrogance, and remind us daily that we are adopted children of the Most High God. We love you. We praise you. Go with us. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray, amen. Church family, take a moment, greet one another with a text or a wave. We'll be back shortly. Well, good morning. My name is Gary Campbell. I'm part of the pastoral team here at GBC, and I'm excited this morning to announce a new series. We are looking at a series in the short story in the Old Testament of Ruth, and our series is entitled Covenant and the Coming of Christ. We're really excited about this series as it sort of links We Are GBC that we just completed with our Advent series. Now, this short story in the Old Testament is, uh, is an amazing literary work. One, one author or one commentator said, as a piece of literature, it is almost perfect. Uh, the famed archaeologist W.F. Albright said, the delicacy of the story of Ruth remains unsurpassed anywhere. It is a gem of world literature. Now, the story is composed in a form of literature called Hebrew parallelism. And each chapter is also composed in, in such a way. And, and so the climax is in the center of the book and of the chapter. In fact, it's symmetrical throughout. Its introduction in chapter one and its conclusion in chapter four both contain 71 Hebrew words. And the, the uh, apex of this story, if you will, the center, its climax comes in chapter two, verse 20, which I won't touch right now, but I'll leave for the guys preaching chapters two and three to elaborate uh, on for us. Uh, names in Ruth, the meanings of names, have significant uh, meaning. For instance, the name Ruth means comfort or refreshment, which she is to both Boaz and Naomi, as we'll find out in the coming weeks. While the name Naomi means pleasant, or as one commentator loosely translated, happy sunshine. But Naomi restates her own name as Mara, meaning bitter, as we're going to hear about this morning. Now, Ruth is written during the time of the judges in Israel's history, a time of immense darkness, rebellion, and hopelessness for God's people, perhaps some of the same things that folks are feeling even today. And the events of this little book take place in that context. And even in our English Bibles today, Ruth appears immediately following the book of Judges. And so if you've ever read through your Bible, when you get to the end of Judges, you're pretty grateful that Ruth follows upon it immediately. That in fact, as our message title would suggest this morning, all hope 
is not lost. But yet in its own story arc, Ruth also begins on a, as a, on a downer, as we're going to look at this morning in chapter 1. And so we could summarize Ruth in a, in a host of ways. There are themes of rest, uh, redemption, uh, but I like this summary. Uh, one commentator wrote, the Lord is faithful in his business of loving, super, superintending, and providentially caring for his people. So, something that's a little bit different that we're going to do uh, this morning from other series is we're going to begin each message of these four weeks uh, hearing the text in a feminine voice as different women from our congregation read each chapter to us. So, this morning I'm grateful for my dear friend Robin Depot, who's going to share with us chapter one. Robin? Good morning. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Emelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Euphratites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughter-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. They said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? 
Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Can we say thank you to Robin this morning? Robin, thank you so much. Well, it's been uh, just a great morning of worship already. Uh, just hearing your singing, really appreciated Pastor Zach's prayer as we consider all that's before us as a nation and just as, as people in general and the things that I hear that people are carrying. And, you know, Ruth is just so timely. Um, I want to make one point as we talk about the nature of story in the Bible, uh, and Ruth in particular. Ruth is a very carefully crafted story with its parallelism, with the meaning of the names and so on and so forth. But we also believe that it, it is also historically accurate. It, in other words, we believe in its historicity. It represents real events and real people in the genealogy, even as we'll see, of, of King David and, and Jesus himself. And so as we approach biblical story, uh, we really want to seek three things. First and foremost, we're asking, what was God doing among this particular people and these particular events at this time? What was happening in that context, historically, culturally, and, and trying to understand as best we can today what was happening in that context and what God was doing? And then secondly, we're asking where these events or people fit within God's plan to rescue humanity the meta-narrative, if you will, above the narrative that we're looking at this morning, is the gospel, is God's plan to redeem his people. And so where do we see that? Another way of saying that is we're looking for the gospel at every turn. Now, we don't have to force that at all. If you were here for our study of Isaiah a couple years ago, you remember that we got to the point where we started to realize chapter by chapter that, that the gospel was going to leap off the page at us. And so too, we'll see in the book of Ruth. But that's our second goal. And then third and finally, we're seeking together, you and me, for where this account calls me to greater trust and faithfulness to the God who is speaking through Naomi and through Ruth in this particular case uh, this morning. As Dale Ralph Davis notes, I like the way he says this, he says, God has given us his word as a revelation of himself. If I then use his word rightly, I will long to see him, and he, Jesus, will become the focus of my study. Amen? Amen? So why don't we pray together with that goal in mind as we study God's word. Lord, Lord, we thank you for the time this morning gathered here and abroad through the web as your people to worship you this morning, to take the focus off of ourselves and our circumstances and just to just extol and honor and glorify your name through song and through prayer and through the, the listening to your word being read this morning, Lord God. Lord, as we look to your word to be taught this morning, would your word, even in this short story, be instructive to teach us, to correct us, to rebuke us, to train us, as Paul would say in 1 Timothy. Give us open hearts to hear from your Holy Spirit this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look at uh, uh, Ruth in really in sort of four acts surrounding the four major players in chapter one. We're going to look at the fruit of Elimelech's choice. We're going to look at the circumstances of Naomi's plight. We're going to look at the display of Ruth's faith. And then my favorite is we're going to look at the glimpse 
of Yahweh's redemption. So I've kind of already given away the, uh, the spoiler alert here uh, about where we're going. But the story begins, and it says it was the time of the judges during a famine, and a man left Bethlehem and Judah. Elimelech makes a choice to leave Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem, interestingly enough, means house of bread. And Bethlehem, or Elimelech, rather, whose name means my God is king, uh, acts in such a way, quite frankly, where he puts himself in the place of king and moves away from the house of bread and moves, takes his family to Moab for a time, the scripture says. Now, Moab and Israel have a very interesting relationship. If they were Facebook friends, they would say it's complicated. Uh, they're kind of sort of cousins. Uh, you may remember the story in Genesis 19, or if you're new to the Bible, you can read that later, how Lot, the nephew of Abraham, in an incestuous relationship with his own daughter, she becomes pregnant with a man named Moab, and these people, the Moabites, are the descendants of those sort of odd cousins to Moab. So it's an interesting relationship that exists that is not quite as removed as the enemy nations of God's people. In fact, even in Isaiah, the Lord through Isaiah weeps over Moab. But nonetheless, Elimelech leaves the house of bread. He leaves Bethlehem. He leaves Judah. And when we see someone who's patriarchal, uh, one of the Hebrews, leaving God's land of promise to go somewhere else to make his own way, a la Abraham, leaving to go to Egypt, it generally never goes well. And so the fruit of Elimelech's choice, although granted some of this he could have never foreknown, is that his own wife and both his daughters-in-law are left as widows, in Naomi's case, in a foreign, in a foreign country. Now, it's important for us to, to understand that widows in every culture, generally, generally speaking, are, are marginalized on some level, even today. But in this particular time, even more than the first century AD, uh, widows are extremely marginalized as a class of people. They could not own property. If they were not married, they would be relegated back to the house of their fathers, and they would be legally subject and subordinate to, to male relatives, brothers, uncles, uh, uh, fathers, of course, and so forth. Interesting commentary in the Talmud, which is a collection of oral Jewish law that was written down and then some commentary. In the Talmud, this is what the rabbis say about, uh, written about the second century about uh, widows. It says, it is dangerous Note that word. It is dangerous to marry a woman who's been widowed from two former husbands, the rabbi writes, either because she may have some malignant disease in her womb, which caused their death, or because it may be her fate not to have a husband to support her. So in a time and culture where a woman could not survive without a man involved in her life, even the Jewish rabbis here write that, you know what, if she's been widowed twice, stay away. God has intended this, is what's sort of what's read into the text crazy. And you know, here Naomi is one of those people. She finds herself in a foreign land with no male relatives. She is in a desperate situation. But this is not the position of the scripture. In both the Old and New Testament, we could look at um, Jeremiah 29 or Job 7, certainly James in the, in the New Testament, even Paul's pastoral letters, where we see that caring for widows and orphans, widows here because of our context, is tantamount to true religion. It's a demonstration of obedience to being faithful to the true God, caring for widows. And so once again, the scripture is actually countercultural in a way that esteems and honors and cares for those who've been brought low by life's circumstances. 
Widows are in a precarious position. The fruit of Elimelech's choice is that his own wife is left destitute, and she has these two young women, and there's this issue that exists uh, between them and, and amongst them. So we next move to the circumstances of Naomi's plight. And you know, all this background is important for us this morning because it might be tempting for you this morning, if you're watching online, if you're here this morning, to kind of take our Western sensibilities and our, and our 21st century understanding of equality and, and women's rights and, and women and female empowerment and sort of overlay that onto the text and even ask of these women, hey, why didn't they assert themselves more? Why didn't they band together with another group of women? What, what, why didn't they do something differently? Where were the men? Why did they just leave them on their own? Again, when we study scripture, we need to understand the culture in which these events take place. And this is a uh, radically patriarchal culture. In fact, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, in a sense, do discuss their plight and do sort of, Naomi goes into this hyperbolic uh, solution, if you will, that, that is clearly not a solution about having other sons. And there's an important point to that we're going to look at in a minute, but essentially, whatever conversation they do have that the Scripture records, they're reduced to tears. They're left at a place where they know there is no recourse. And in fact, Naomi asserts that her two daughters-in-law are better off going back into their pagan households. So Naomi articulates this complaint to God. She says, the Lord's hand has turned against me. She understands the personal predicament that she's in, and she expects that that is of the Lord's doing. Uh, one commentator said this, he said, our author depicts in somber and expressive hues the desolation, the despair, and the emptiness of the life of a woman left alone without her two boys and without her husband in a society, in a world that depends on men. So here's Naomi in a foreign land, left destitute with no ability to provide for herself. And as we said, this, is, this chapter, each chapter and the entire book are written in Hebrew parallelism. So the, the, the apex of the story comes around verse 14 where Naomi essentially acknowledges that she cannot provide a male deliverer, rescuer, redeemer for herself. She's incapable of producing her own salvation. And so we begin to see the gospel in this text. Because the huge theological point this morning is this. We are in the same predicament as Naomi without Christ. Our choices have brought us to a foreign land. We are left with the circumstances not only of what's happened to us, but what we've done. And when we analyze the situation honestly, we have zero ability to do anything to deliver ourselves. We cannot affect change positively in terms of our eternal destiny. We are just like Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. We are in need of a rescuer to come sort of from the outside of this closed-loop system and rescue us. That brings us to Naomi's, or to rather the display of Ruth's faith. If the text sort of hangs in this idea of the morbidity of the situation, we begin to see glimpses and glimmers of hope. And the first is in the response of Ruth to her mother-in-law's situation and even that of her own. And she declares this statement of faith. She says, I will go where you go. I'll be buried where you bury. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. May the Lord be, deal with me, be it ever so severe if I do not go with you. The text says she clings to Naomi. 
And it's a bunch of questions come to mind in terms of the why. Now, Ruth and Naomi, this, this story can be paralleled somewhat to Abraham's story. And we could make the argument this morning that Ruth's faith is actually stronger than that of Abraham's. Why? Abraham was given a threefold promise. Abraham was told that he would have uh, children as numerous as the sand of the seashore and the stars in the sky. He was told that he would have the land everywhere he set his foot would be his. And he was, to- he was told that through him, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Ruth has none of that. Ruth doesn't have a promise. She doesn't have possessions. and She's got no people. In fact, she steps away from the opportunity to marry a Moabite husband to embrace this old lady who has nothing to offer her. Why? Inasmuch as Elimelech and Naomi likely made the wrong choice in leaving Bethlehem and Judah, clearly they were living out and walking out in faithfulness their relationship with Yahweh. And this woman understands something of who Yahweh is by what she's seen in the household of Elimelech and Naomi. Because she makes a choice, we'll learn more throughout the rest of the book, but not only her naming of Naomi's God as her own, but there's a theme of turning and returning that runs throughout the book. And Ruth turns, not only in her words, but in her actions, away from the gods of her people and turns toward Yahweh. She makes her own choice. In a sense, she is converted, but I want to caution us again in the spirit of not overlaying our modern sort of other side of the cross understanding of conversion not to read too much into our understanding of what it means to follow Christ today into Ruth's words. In other words, we don't have to force what she says into a modern version of conversion. It is, in the Old Testament, a longing and a looking toward a rescuer and a deliverer to come and a trusting in God to provide that. And we see that in Ruth's, in Ruth's declaration. Ultimately, it's what it shows and demonstrates what God can do with anyone who demonstrates faith, with anyone who cries out to him. Tom Constable, in his commentary, writes, the key to Ruth being this source of blessing emerges in the first chapter. It was her faith in Yahweh and commitment to his people. Throughout human history, this has always been the key to God using people as as channels of blessing. It is not their origins or their backgrounds but their faith in and commitment to Yahweh and others that makes them usable. And the author reinforces this. Over and over he calls her Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess, as if reminding us that this woman is not who we would expect God to use. But it's by her demonstration and declaration of faith that he will use her to bless everybody that's involved in this story. Same is true for us. God will use any of us. And in fact, one of the things I really love about this section of, of, Ruth, of, of Ruth's declaration is it reinforces what we just talked about in We Are GBC. Remember what we said? That as we commit to God himself, we automatically commit to his people. Or when we, entrust, when we trust the Lord, we automatically entrust ourselves to his people. Uh, Ruth is an Old Testament example of this. As she lives that out. And through her, everyone involved is blessed. I want to share a recent example of that in, our, uh, in the last several months here at GBC and in the larger body of Christ. Several months ago, when the coronavirus broke out, 
And we made an intentional choice as elders to not pay down any of our mortgage principal as we had planned to do in the, right away in 2020, but instead to take any excess funding that we had and use it to bless uh, uh, other, church partner, other churches that we have relationship with, ministry, uh, parachurch ministry partners, and missionaries, both here and abroad. In fact, we didn't speak about money until the third or fourth week of the coronavirus, and we came to you and we said, God has given us vision for this season that we are to be godly in our conduct, that we are to be faithful to God in worship, even though it's going to occur in a different format, and that we are to be generous on the behalf of our community and the larger body of Christ. And you, God's people, as we trusted God and listened to his voice, entrusted ourselves to each other, and you were extremely generous. And so we began praying about it, saying, Lord, where do you want us to channel this money? What parachurch partners, what churches in our area and churches in our region? And we began to send out checks. It was an amazing time to just trust the Lord and entrust ourselves to the larger body of Christ. And Zach alluded to this a couple weeks ago, but I wanted to elaborate on this. What we didn't know at the time is we sent funds from this church to other churches both right around here and in our region, and particularly in the black and Hispanic community, churches that we had a relationship with, including not only the churches right here, but in the Black Ministry Alliance in the greater Boston area. This was all pre-George Floyd. It all happened pre-George Floyd. In fact, I was on the phone at one point with Vision New England, and I said, you know, this is not about the white church helping the black church or anything like that. We just want the body of Christ to be the body of Christ and to work together. And on the other end of the phone, he began to weep. When George Floyd was killed and the, and the culture began to go crazy and the church began to ask, what are we supposed to do here? What is the church's role? Those conversations began to take place throughout all of these churches, and legitimately, I had forgotten where a bunch of our funds had gone. It had been weeks, and as I sat down with pastors in this community, black and Hispanic pastors with whom, as I've shared before, we have long relationship, they brought that up. And they said, do you know what it meant to us that you helped our church in a season that preceded all this mess? And there was instant favor. You see, as we listen to the Holy Spirit, as we trust him, and we entrust ourselves to each other, God blesses everyone involved, and he grants favor. And so what the evil one intended to divide and to rip apart and to destroy, God has used to bring us together. And those conversations are ongoing to the degree to which I had a pastor with me in the commons on, I think it was Thursday morning this week, just in tears about what God is doing in the church. Big, big C church. Amazing amazing stuff as we listen to the Lord, as we trust him and entrust ourselves to each other. Well, that brings us to the, the last little section. And it's just a, a, a beautiful conclusion to this chapter. It's the glimpse of Yahweh's redemption. Now, Naomi comes back into to town. You heard, uh, uh, you heard Robin read it this morning. She says, don't call me Naomi, because that means pleasant. Call me Mara, because I am bitter, and my circumstances are bitter. And she reiterates her complaint and expands considerably her complaint to the Lord. She says, I went away full, and I'm returning empty. And I imagine the Lord in the eternal counsels of God with this wry smile saying, oh, contraire, you're returning to the house of bread. Just wait. Just wait. But I want to acknowledge, too, that we can make a, a very strong biblical argument for a theology of complaint. 
that Naomi taking her complaint to the Lord is actually appropriate. She's not irreverent. And I think sometimes we forget that, that Job and Jeremiah and even Paul and most of the major biblical characters, and certainly here Naomi, complain to the Lord, the Psalms, David and others, that the Bible has room for complaint, that we can acknowledge the brokenness of our circumstances and situation. We do not need to be circumstance deniers, so to speak. The Lord already knows. He already knows, and we can bring him our complaint. Maybe you say this morning as you're sitting there, Maybe you're at home this morning, you're saying, I'm stuck at home still because of my circumstances. I've been out of work for eight months. I feel like I'm stuck in chapter one. I completely can identify with Naomi. Where's my gospel hope? Or maybe it's much more trivial for you. You know, I find in my life often it's not the big crises that set me off. It's the little annoyances and frustrations. Maybe true for you. I want to share one of those this morning and how God worked in the midst of it tell you this little story uh, from my Naomi moment from this past week. So my kids, uh, two of my sons are playing uh, football-related activities. And uh, on Monday, you know, we've been running. It's been a crazy couple weeks, and we've been running and running. And so we dropped the boys, two of them off at, high, at the high school, and, and I was exhausted. I said, I just want a hot cup of coffee and a few minutes to sit. And so I said, let's, we were at Waterford High School. I said, let's take the long way and go to Starbucks in East Lyme. And so we did. We turned out of the high school. We went, went left. We went all the way through into Niantic, went to, uh, to uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, turned right, went all the way down Pennsylvania Avenue, and came to Starbucks in East Lyme. Some of you know, already know where I'm going with this. And I pull up, and the whole place is barricaded. It's shut down. It's just closed for renovation. And I'm like, oh. I was ticked. i got to be honest with you. You can ask my wife. Don't ask my wife. So I jump back on the highway right there it's exit, and, and jump off exit 75, and I'm like, let's just go back to the high school. And then I'm like, hey, there's a Henny Penny on the way here. Let's stop at the Henny Penny and just grab some, you know, dollar coffee there. So we go into Henny Penny, we pump the coffee, we get it, and I taste it just to taste it, and it's like lukewarm at best. And I'm like beside myself. And so at this point, I just start to laugh. I'm like, you know what, there are, there's not a customer to be seen. Let's give them our two bucks and 39 cents or whatever it is and just give them the business and get out of here. So I slide my coffee over and give my card over. And, and I said to the girl behind the counter, I said, man, it's awfully quiet in here. She said, yeah, it's hard. She said, I love it when it's full of people. She said, I lost my job from the coronavirus thing. And I lived in a northern, uh, northern part of the state. And I ended up down here, found this job. And here I am working here. She said, but I really like it when it's full of people. And I said, yeah, I, I can relate to that. I'm an extrovert. I love, I love, you know, just the activity of people and so on and so forth. And, and so I grab my coffee. She gives me the card back. And, and I take my coffee. I start to turn. She goes, yeah, I just really need community. And I'm like, <laughs> And I stand off to the side because another customer comes in. My wife and I are standing together. She looks at me. I look at her. And I said, with the other customer standing there, I said, have you ever been part of a church community? She goes, oh, I was involved in such and such a church when I lived up north. She said, but churches are all closed. They're all shut down. I can't even do that. And I'm like, oh boy. So I pull out my business card and I just said, hey, listen, not for nothing. I said, I pastor a church in Groton and we're open. I said, it's a small percentage of the normal gathering right now that are in the building, but we're open and we have groups all over the place. We have women's groups that are meeting on Zoom. If that's more comfortable than some that are meeting, there's just lots of options. And she goes, almost steps back. She goes, what kind of church? And I go, we're a non-denominational Bible church. And folks, this wall comes down. It just comes down right in front of my eyes and she goes, I'm in recovery. 
And she said, I was involved in a Celebrate Recovery program. And I need fellowship. And I need community. And so we begin to talk, and I pray with her in the name of Jesus and Henny Penny on Route 1, I think it was, in Waterford East Lime, wherever the heck I was trying to get some coffee. And we leave there, and Christy and I look at each other. We got these lukewarm cups of coffee. We go, this had nothing to do with coffee, and we dump it out. <laughs> but here's the point. That's amazing. <laughs> Praise God. Here's the point, and I want you to hear this carefully. I, I went into that store. Let's, let's tell you how I didn't go into the store. I didn't go into the store and say, hey, you know what, honey? It's okay. It's okay that Starbucks was closed. God has a divine appointment for us. There is someone here that maybe we can encourage. Like, that's not where I was at. I was like Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. <laughs> and God's saying, it was the beginning of the barley harvest. You've returned to the house of bread in the beginning of the barley harvest. God is a God of grace and there's this, this phrase, beginning of the barley harvest, is, is pregnant. It's ripe with gospel anticipation, with resurrection. You know, the barley harvest around here is akin to the hay season, late summer. And I grew up on a farm in Ledger, and I have fond memories as like an 8, 9, 10-year-old chasing the hay balers and riding the hay trucks. It was a time of celebration. That's nothing compared to ancient Israel. The barley harvest is when they would celebrate the Feast of Weeks. It was a celebration of God's provision. And you can see that God is just setting her up for what he wants to do. It may be in your life that God has brought you to a point nationally, as Zach prayed this morning, in your personal circumstances, where you are perfectly positioned, you are ripe, the situation is pregnant, to use that word intentionally, for God to work. We need a rescuer. Naomi needed a rescuer. And we need to be reminded that this life is not all there is. That as the old Negro spiritual said, we're, this life's not everything, it is, we're just a passing through. And I need to be reminded, and you need to be reminded, that there, we need to have an internal perspective. If 2020 is an, or 21 is an amazing year, Jesus is still coming back. If 2021 is worse somehow than 2020, Jesus is still coming back. Amen? Brian Mowry, who pastors the church down the highway, Walnut Hill Community Church has written a book called The Other Side of Yes. And in that book, he talks about a, paint or a, a Bible in the University of Kansas that looks kind of nondescript like any other Bible. When you tilt its gilded edges, it displays a picture of Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. And in that picture, underneath it, inscribed, it says this, it is I myself, handle me and see. This is the message of Ruth. Ruth is about Jesus. Ruth is about the gospel. Ruth is about a hope that extends beyond our circumstances. And so this chapter closes with this hint about bread and new life, and it's a resurrection glimpse that reminds us of Jesus' own words. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I would like to ask the ushers to come forward, or if you have your, your cups with you this morning, 
Yeah, see, I mean, I don't remember how the new thing is done. If I could ask someone to bring me one, that would be awesome so that I can lead us in communion. And as that comes, thank you, Zach. Thank you, brother. <laughs> um, as we do that this morning, I, I want to give you a moment to just sort of contemplate God's goodness. Don't be afraid to acknowledge the bitterness, but recognize that he's capable, he's able, and that Ruth and Naomi and their story serves as an example to that. And in a moment, I'll lead us in a prayer for the bread and followed by a prayer for the cup. I'll give you a moment. First Corinthians 11 tells us that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples, and he said, this bread is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For those of you who know Jesus Christ is your Savior, this feast, in quotes, is for you and for me. If you don't know the hope of Christ in your life, I would ask you this morning, you can even type in the chat if you're online, just type, I need a rescuer. I need a redeemer. I need to know what he's talking about. Or come talk to somebody after the service ends. Resolve that today. But this is for those of you that have made that choice to trust Christ. Let's give thanks for the bread. Lord God, we thank you for all the imagery of turning and returning and redemption and fruit that exists in the story of Ruth. But Lord, we thank you for the image that you leave us with. That as Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem, the house of bread, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Lord Jesus, you are the fulfillment of the promised Redeemer pictured in Ruth. You are our Redeemer. You are the Redeemer of all mankind. And so we thank you for this little piece of bread that reminds us that you gave yourself willingly for our redemption and our forgiveness. We take it, Lord, in obedience to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the body of Christ together. Similarly, similarly, Jesus took the cup, the scripture says, and said to the disciples, this cup is the new covenant, my blood, which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or forgiveness of sins. Blood was necessary, and all the blood of bulls and goats could not pay for our sins. It temporarily covered the sins of those that lived in ancient times. But the blood of Jesus wipes away, covers and clears out and cleanses all of us everywhere around the world where people are receiving the blood of Christ this morning, we celebrate the same thing. We're forgiven. We're free. So that we can live a different kind of life. Let's pray for the cup. Lord God, we thank you for your willingness to send your son on our behalf. Jesus, we thank you for your enduring of the bitterness of human experience, for your willingness to endure the cross, the bitterness of the cross, to pay for our sins, Lord God. Jesus, we worship you in this little act of obedience. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the cup. Earlier this week, Zach had texted me and, and said, hey, Sam, are you available on Sunday for the offering? 
And of course, I open my calendar up and check with my wife. Um, but I, I noticed on my calendar today was the first, and it also caught my eye that it was a payday this week. And, and then it, I had that epiphany where I realized, you know, we, we usually do an offering prayer. And I can remember as a kid, my parents would actually take a checkbook out, which God forbid anyone actually has a checkbook anymore. But, but I actually it was connected to the actual event. And I had that epiphany that, you know, my wife and I usually pay our bills on the 1st and the 15th, and we, we do offering on the website. Or some people may, may write a check and, and give it an offering on the way out through one of the, the offering boxes. But the point is, is no matter whether you, you do your offering this morning or whether you, you do it, you know, once or twice a month or once a month, the offering prayer applies no matter where you're at. And, and so although you may not think of this one, I would encourage you when it comes time for you to make your offering, however it is you do it, that you do, you do shut your eyes and say a prayer and, and, and ask for that blessing from God, and then he, and he lays something on your heart. Please pray. Lord, we come to you now as this offering prayer, and, and we thank you for the many gifts and blessings that, that you've given to each one in this room. And Lord, I ask that you, know, you touch each heart of every giver in this room, whether that's this morning or at home, or watching online, whether that's later in the month, later in the week, uh, when we each sit down to, to, to give our tithe and offering. Lord, I ask that you touch that giver and, and you remind them of all the things that you give us. Remind us of the obligation that we have to the church and to you to give back, to spread your word, to spread goodness, and, and to make people aware of, of the beauty that is uh, this church. And Lord, I ask that you you touch each of the, the leaders in this church that as they make decisions day in and day out, year to year, on, on how to spend the funds and the, and the tithes and offerings, that you give them the wisdom to, to make the right decisions, the courage to execute those decisions, and, and to know that they're doing the right things. And it's through your son's name that we pray. Amen.
Worship him this morning to end the day. But because he lives. Because he lives. Come on, let's sing it out. I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. All fear. GBC family, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. I wanted to let you know one final thing. Uh, tonight we're going to be doing something special, and I wanted to extend an invitation to that. Uh, tonight here from 7.30 to 8.30, a few of the elders are going to be gathering right in this room to pray for the election, to pray for the coming week, and to pray for our church. We'll have a structured prayer that's going to start with individual prayer and arc all the way to a community prayer. And anyone in the GBC family is invited to join us tonight from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. With that, have a wonderful week. If you're new here, please stop at the Welcome Center and say hi. We'd love to get to you. Thank you, GBC.